Hello, and welcome to the Austin Art Talk podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, your host. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and I do hope you're enjoying the interviews I've been sharing. The focus of this podcast is on the interesting and creative people of Austin, Texas. As always, my intention is to have meaningful and in-depth conversations that I hope will be of value to you, the listener. They certainly are to me. I really love doing these interviews, and hopefully we can all figure out together how to better connect and support our local art communities and create opportunities and success for ourselves through conversations like these. You might have noticed, unlike many other podcasts, this one has no sponsors. For me, it's a passion project that I create and produce 100% on my own every week please consider helping to support me and my continued efforts by becoming a patron of mine. Go to austinarttalk.com and click on the support tab to learn more. And if you really love an episode and have a feeling it might benefit someone else, please share it with them. It might be exactly what they need to hear. Thanks to those who follow and interact with me on Instagram, at austinarttalk. That is by far my favorite social media platform. I post daily about local art events and try to support and share the work of previous podcast guests, along with other interesting people, art, and podcasts that I find which you might enjoy. On to the rest of the show. Drew Riley is an artist and activist who, through her transition to fully discovering and revealing herself, found an opportunity to help others do the same. With her Gender Portraits project, she paints, interviews, and shares the stories of trans, intersex, and gender non-conforming people. We get a glimpse of their lived experience, their essence, and their lives outside of just talking about gender. This project originated with a series of self-portraits she created that each represent her journey, challenges, and breakthroughs on the road to embodying and realizing her authentic self. We go into depth about each one and talk about her rigorous classical art training and how she created these beautiful and expertly rendered portraits. At the end, she also talks about her nonprofit Gender Unbound, and the Winter Art Market, which you can still attend if you're hearing this before December 15th, 2018. What important work Drew is doing. This was a very enlightening and interesting conversation for me, and I hope it is for you as well. Here is Drew. Okay, Drew, thanks for being on my podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you. Um, I first saw your work and met you at Prizer Arts and Letters, uh, run by my friend Carrie Kenny. And um, yeah, I re- was really blown away by the quality of your work, the rendering, the realism, the the depth of the meaning of the portraits. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering, maybe, I guess we could just start like I always do, like maybe you could just kind of introduce yourself. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you. Um, I always appreciate compliments <laughs> on my work, because yeah. as any artist, I have a lot of self-doubt. But sure. <laughs> um, uh, so what I do, first of all, I'll just kind of start with a general introduction. My name is Drew Riley. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. I am a transgender woman, and that is applicable in this context because my work uh, tends to focus on gender. And me coming out as trans was a big motivation for me to do the work that I do. Um, and so the series that was showing in Prizer that you're referring to is called Gender Portraits. And what I do is I paint portraits of trans, intersex, and gender nonconforming people in, in kind of a broad category. Uh, I, I have a lot of people who do, who maybe gender identity isn't necessarily where they diverge from societal norms, uh, but maybe they do drag, or maybe they have a a characteristic about them that they've incorporated into their gender that uh, society doesn't normally promote. And uh, then I also interview them and I release stories next to the portraits. So you get that combination of as you're viewing this art, you're reading the person's lived experiences and getting to feel like you meet them through the work Mm -hmm. um, with the goal of helping just broaden horizons and build empathy and education. I'm, 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 yeah. I'm definitely like an artist activist. Yeah. Those portraits are really, yeah, it's the realism and the stories, like you said on your website, that they add some validation and it's therapeutic and it add, it's mm-hmm. visibility. It's really yeah. powerful. And when I, when I do the stories, I don't try to just focus on their gender. There's usually like a component about it, at least, because that's why they fit into the series. But I try to talk about their lives outside of that, wherever applicable, and just really capture their essence in a snapshot, as best as you can capture anyone's essence in yeah. a snapshot. And it's like, yeah, this is a real person. Who's yeah. doing the best they can, like just like all the rest of us, right? Yeah, and I think because really, when you meet people in that way, like 
everyone is relatable. Like a lot of motivations are similar and even struggles are similar. If you know, you're not trans, you can still understand wanting to be more authentic to yourself, wanting to fit in. And, you know, also just, I think most of us struggle with gender and how restrictive our society is on gender. Yeah, There's so many rules at play and so much shame involved if you don't fit into boxes and so much like power struggles and dynamics around gender and it's kind of a pretty oppressive construct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um I think that yeah, trans stories are actually very relatable once you get past, you know, I think the thing that most people struggle with is that shock of like this is just different from what I've experienced. Um yeah. Or maybe this person's so far outside of a box that I'm struggling really hard to stay in that I have some resentment because like, why do I have to be either quote unquote manning up or quote unquote the perfect model of femininity or whatever, you know, your baggage is like if this person gets to just walk right out of that box that I'm stuck in. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I actually, you know, you have your series of adolescence exploration and prudence and i Mm -hmm. guess there's probably going to be a fourth one yes eventually but i was reading through all those stories and yeah there's so many themes that are just universal to being a human being that you were and things that you were struggling with Mm -hmm. through your transition that i was just like i can totally relate to that i can totally see how we all can relate to that you know there's this one quote i really like you said i rarely needed to change my way of acting i just needed to learn how to be okay with acting like myself. I mean, who can't relate to that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually, that it's funny because like it sounds so simple said out loud, yeah. but it's still a lesson that I keep having to relearn. And I think everyone in, yeah. in life has to just keep reminding themselves that like, the problem isn't if I'm acting in the right way, it's if I can be okay I mean, not to say that you can't act badly, yeah. but um, like, like in, more in just your own authentic mannerisms, not in like, um, do my actions hurt somebody? It, it's more of like a, you know, if I'm a person who loves this type of being and I've heard in my life that that you can't do that or that's not okay, just, I, 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 I mean, it's such a, it's, it's hard to even describe because it's such a broad and vague concept that permeates everything. Trying to think of a clear example, I I mean, I think that if anyone just thinks back to being in high school or middle school, they instantly know. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. yeah, of like all of these like social rules that later as adults, hopefully you learn, oh, that was ridiculous. That was absurd. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And actually, if I don't listen to those, I have my unique self. I'm more loved for it because I am unique. I mean, I think... The thing that comes to mind to me is just like, I mean, who doesn't struggle with in some way feeling like you're enough or mm-hmm. having enough compassion for yourself or mm-hmm. being too hard on yourself? I mean, mm-hmm. it's all it's all there. I mean, it's like, and life's hard and we're all trying to make the best of it and figure it out, right? Maybe we could back up and explore kind of like where your artistic beginnings are or where okay. you kind of see that starting. Yeah. Um, I, as far as my memories go back, I wanted to be an artist. Yeah. I loved drawing and I was praised for drawing, which I think is always important. Yeah. <laughs> like those things that you do as a child that you get praised for, you're like, oh, okay, I will do this. Yeah. I will keep doing this because I get praised for it. And obviously, I remember thinking that I was amazing at being an artist at an age where if I go back and look at those drawings right. from that age, they were nowhere, <laughs> anywhere different than anyone else's drawings. But I was like, I am the best at this. Yeah. Because <laughs> well, people helps. praised me. Yeah, it was great. Um, so thank you to my supportive parents. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, you know, there were times where I decided I was going to do other things, but I always returned to art. And um, when I went to college, I actually went to a uh, small private college that all they do is train artists and kind of just decided to lock in at that moment. And, yeah, um, Gemini. Yes. Uh, which I had never heard of. It's in... A lot of people haven't, yeah. It's, wow. It's uh, Gemini's School of Visual Arts and their small school in Cedar Park. It's a very specific type of school because, you know, I, uh, I, I always struggle with how readily to recommend that path to people just because you have to know that you want to be an artist. And even in art, I, if I want to be an art teacher, I, it was a vocational school. So I, in order to get a teaching certificate, I would have to go through a very long path. Um, I don't have a bachelor's. There's that, but at the same time, the technical training, it was uh, mandatory nine to five, five days a week. Um, So you're doing 40 hours a week, a week of only art. And it's very like one-on-one, almost like an old art apprenticeship 
yeah. style program where there's someone over you directing you and instructing you and then leaving you to create and then coming back and, and, and guiding you a little bit and, and then letting you create and then guiding you and just doing that for four years. Wow. Um, yeah. So that's intense. Yeah. You come out of that with skills that you definitely did not possess in the beginning. And I'm so grateful for it. You're putting in all those hours. I yeah. mean, that's you're doing the work, you're practicing and yeah. being mentored. And, and yeah. it's, a, it's a classical style. It's, I mean, does that kind of training lend itself initially? Kind of the baseline is being able to paint something exactly as it looks, right? Yes, yes, yeah. It is showing you different techniques to accomplish this and and basically helping you construct as accurately as possible. Because the mindset is, once you know how to construct, then you can know how to deconstruct. Um, and actually, that's that's where I hesitate sometimes with how to advise people, because that is a very specific type of art. Um, and that is a very specific way of painting. And actually, I have, since that training, been doing a lot of unlearning to try and loosen up uh, yeah, because yeah. I, you know, have so many things that have been like really ingrained into me that like if I want to do, you know, poppier work, looser work, I like <laughs> I have to actually kind of fight myself uh, because mm-hmm. like my instincts will worry that it's not tight enough or it's not good enough. And and it's that whole, once again, that quote unquote good. And what is that in art? Um, yeah. So, you know, if that, if painting and drawing realistically doesn't appeal to you, that's definitely not your course. Yeah. 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 yeah it makes me, I know I'd read on your, I think on your website that you're a fan of John Singer Sargent. He's like one of oh, my favorite yes. artists of all time. Yeah. And I just, when I think of his portraits, I think of like him mastering this simplicity of mm-hmm. communication of, you know, yeah. it's like, what's the simplest, fewest amount of strokes that you can communicate something. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'm yeah. assuming that's kind of like, was one of the goals of your, your study or yeah. maybe well, after study that after study, definitely. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And, and actually that's, that in lies my internal struggle is I was actually very much drawn to and inspired by uh, impressionistic painters and like Sargent and Van Gogh. And so when I have a piece in my head, it's actually usually looser than when it comes out. And I am like constantly trying to be like this time I'm going to simplify it even more this time. I'm going to exaggerate even more. And I think that that's, opposite from some artists struggles is that you know a lot of times people are like i'm gonna i'm gonna really work on those details or something like that i hear that a lot from artists and for me it's like i need to stop focusing on details (laughs) yeah after you did it for four years yeah Uh, i'm just wondering what else are there any memorable lessons that you learn from your mentors about being an artist or did they did the school prepare you for making a living as an artist or was it just all about the craft? Um, so the school that I went to, and this is another area where like, you know, this would need to be what you want to do. And it ended up not being what I wanted to do in, in the end. Mm. Um, but they, because Austin, especially at the time that I went, had like a giant video game industry that was just exploding. And it's still here. It's still very large. Um, Just video games as an industry were just like on the rise in a huge boom at that time. And it was very easy to get a job if you were talented as a concept artist. And uh, that's really what they trained their students to be able to do. Mm. Um, So you would, in the first two years, really only be working traditionally. And then in the second two years, you would start working uh, on your digital skills. Oh, okay. um, at the, and it would be kind of concurrent. You'd still be painting, but you would be applying those techniques digitally. And the goal was to uh, get you like into an internship with a video game company um, by the time you graduated. Um, I don't know. It's been a while since I've been there. I don't know if that's still their model, but that yeah. was the model there. And, and it's what I ended up doing. And I worked in the video game industry as a concept artist for about five years. Mm. And the uh, video game industry took care of me financially, which was nice. And I got to have a career where I was drawing every day. But me personally, I've always, what drew me to art was fine art. What drew me also to maybe not art, but just a a directing force in my life has always been activism. And no surprise, the video game industry is also a little bit misogynistic and conservative. There's maybe been a few like articles about that (laughs) here and there. Um, And I didn't feel like I could be out as a trans woman in that industry. I didn't feel like it was a safe decision to do. And so kind of all of that combined, I decided to leave that industry and pursue fine art and to start the work that I do now. Yeah. Yeah. So that I could feel like my work had more of a voice 
um, and, and was not only was I able to be who I was, but I was helping other people be who they are. Hmm. You know, if you're choosing, you're working in this industry for five years and then you choose to get out of it, like that must've been kind of scary. Yes. I mean, (laughs) along with everything else that you're going through, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's a decision that I thought about for years and I would be on lunch breaks sometimes like from the office, like on the phone with my brother being like, I don't know. I don't know if I should do this anymore. Like, you know, doing them when I'm talking, you know, talking about concept art, Yeah. uh, because I was good at it. And it's hard when you're like good at something and you have job security and like, I would judge myself. I'd be like, how ungrateful am I? I get to do art for a living every day. I get to wake up and do art. Like how many people would kill for that life? And I have a salary and I have job security. I'm good at what I do. Like, why am I just constantly unsatisfied and you couldn't be yourself. Yeah, I couldn't be myself. And um, in, in multiple ways, I couldn't be myself in my gender, and I couldn't be myself in the type of art I wanted to create. Mm. I never, you know, when you work in the video game industry, you're drawing characters and environments and weapons, and like I'm drawing a lot of aliens with sniper rifles, and, yeah. you know, and uh, <laughs> there would be times when I'd have to draw female characters, and I would have actual critique from my bosses to say, no, it's not sexy enough, go back and do it again. And I just, I would oh, get an geez. argument with my bosses of like like sitting there arguing feminism and trying to do it in a way that won't get me fired but also not wanting to have to go back and show more cleavage or draw bigger boobs on this character Um, and like even though I struggle for money now and I didn't then um, even though I don't feel like I have job security as a fine artist because I mean even when you're doing really well as a fine artist you don't know if you're going to be doing well later I have this weight off of my shoulders that like what I create, I'm proud of. And that's a nice feeling. So I'm happy with my decision. Yeah. And actually what you're doing, I mean, it has like a pretty direct positive impact on people's lives, I think. Yeah. And specifically what I'm doing, because it related to my own story, it's given me an abundance of gifts in free therapy. Basically, I get to talk to people like myself and hear their stories and be like, oh my gosh, I'm struggling with that too. And like, talk it out with these people. And it's given me community. Um, I now know hundreds of people like myself when back when I was, you know, closeted, I only knew two trans people other than myself, uh, Mm. which it's very hard to have self-validation when you don't see yourself represented anywhere. And um, Mm, yeah. I, yeah, my life looks like I always dreamed it would look like. And that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. That's, I, yeah. I, that's something I don't even know how to describe. But it's not, it hasn't been an easy road. It doesn't sound like either. No. But, you know, that makes you grateful. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, what roads are easy. Yeah. What was the tipping point where you, you're like, this is my last day. I'm quitting. Well, and how... I wish I could, I wish I could have had this grand story, but I, oh. I got laid off. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And I was more of a choice of, do I take another job, oh, you know, okay. or I do I go a different path, which, you know, is, is, it is scary. I actually got two or three different job offers while I was working on the gender portrait series, um, oh. from video game companies that contacted me and were like, Hey, we're looking for someone. And I turned them down and oh man, I sat there, <laughs> I sat there with my mouse over the like sin yeah. button, just staring at it. Like, is, am I crazy? Like, yeah, that kind of like clicks in and then go, oh no, wait. Oh, okay. No, I'm just going to trust that that was the right decision yeah. and trust that in a while I will not <laughs> be just shaking my head. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the whole, am I right that the gender portraits all started with this adolescent self-portrait that you yes. did in 2013 yeah yeah i um and that was actually painted while i was still working as a oh, concept okay. artist okay. um i it, it kind of my halfway point was if i'm unsatisfied maybe i can keep the job security but just do work that i love and care about in my free time that's a very common approach. I yeah. Think. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, that's, that's a very like <laughs> artist story. One oh one. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, just the irony was I was already professionally an artist, but I was still unsatisfied. <laughs> um, and, uh, so I, so I decided to do a piece for a contest. Um, yeah. it, 
was actually, I needed a deadline to force myself to make a decision because I kept saying, someday I will paint this work that I care about. And then there was... Deadlines a, help. Deadlines help. Yeah, there was this, this contest with a cash prize that I was like, oh, if I got that cash prize, I could just quit my job and do this thing. And yeah. So I I buckled down and did it and I started painting myself. And I started painting myself as like my true gender, as a woman. And um, this is still in a time when I was living my life socially one way and then putting on a button-up shirt and going into an office in the morning and like wiping off mascara and like hoping that no one can tell that I had makeup on like a few hours before and going to work and then going home and changing into my authentic self Mm. and then going out and having a social life and so that was what my life looked like during this time and so painting myself as a woman as I saw myself I kept sitting back, like, you know, taking little breaks from my painting and, and staring at it. And I couldn't stop staring at it. And I kept getting emotional. And there are times when I would tear up. And I just had never, ever made art in my life that made me feel that way. Mm. Um, and I realized how badly I needed to see it and just had this epiphany that, like, probably other people need to see this too. And probably other people need to see themselves and... It took me a couple months to finish the painting, and by the time I was done, I just knew one way or another I wanted to do this. And so my first goal was to do it in my spare time, and I started um, my second portrait, and halfway through it, I think, or most way through it, I got laid off. Mm -hmm. And so I had already gotten to this point of like, I care about this. And I think it's more important than trying to find another job that pays me well. I think that I should do this leap of faith. And um, so I did a Kickstarter and that helped, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that helped me feel like, okay, so I've got a few months of of rent figured out and, you know, and, um, and so I went to work painting. Yeah. Mm. And that was uh, the beginning of 2014 because I was laid off a few days before Christmas. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. That's that's, pretty hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> um, Luckily, I'd already bought all my Christmas gifts. So, <laughs> like, yeah. And I you did. get an unemployment, right? Maybe? Or, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> unemployment really helps. That was, that basically, unemployment helped that, me put together my Kickstarter. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. That, oh, yeah. right. You just got to cobble it together somehow, yes. right? Um, if you don't mind, I would like to go in a little bit more depth into kind Definitely. of like the meaning behind the different portraits. But I did want to mention um, right before, before you got here, I was looking at your Instagram page and I really loved one of your posts recently where you were talking about like how maybe you could probably say it better. You were talking about wearing a mask or taking off mm. a mask. I really yeah. love that kind of how you explain that for people. Um, So the post was a comic that I drew. And uh, in the comic, you see what appears to be like a bearded man with glasses and a hat. And then the glasses and the hat and the beard come off because it's like a fake beard. And there's this woman underneath and everyone's like, oh my God, I can't believe it was a woman this whole time. Like this beautiful woman. And then right below it is a nearly identical comic where you see the same image, but instead of taking off the beard, the person shaves off the beard, and the people's response are, oh, he thinks he's a woman. Oh, like, like wants said, to be put a on woman. a mask. Yeah, yeah, of exactly. Off a mask. Yeah, and, and, and like, there was this emphasis also on what they saw before. Because, like, in the, like, one of the subtle things about the comic is just the pronouns themselves. Like, no one questions when someone takes off a mask, like, what was the real like like yeah. they they say she looked like a man before and when people refer to trans people a lot of times they say he became a woman or he thinks he's a woman or whatever right. they say and they put the emphasis on the before and it shows subconsciously which one they thought was real and which one they think is the mask and um and and yeah because when trans people are coming out what they're doing is they are taking off a mask and showing you who they are and a lot of times society treats us as putting on a mask to become something else something and, like affectation yes yeah yeah. Hmm. yeah and it's and it's hard it's something that i feel like i could only actually draw at this point in my journey because 
when you're a trans person struggling with coming out, you have a lot of internalized self-doubt and a lot of internalized messages from the world. And you actually are like, it's harder for you to say, no, this is my real self, like with that that confidence voice, because you're like, oh gosh, what if everyone's right? What if this? What if that? I did, you know, you have all those little messages where like, well, there was that one time that I felt okay. <laughs> so that was actually a big part, a big part of me coming out to myself was realizing, because I would always tell myself like, no, this can't be what's going on. There are all these moments where I'm not unhappy. And then yeah. flipping it and going like, okay, but what about all the times that you're not happy? And do you think that everyone goes through the world just thinking about gender every single day and being unhappy in all of these moments? And the moment I looked at it that way, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I think I probably shouldn't point to that one time, that one week where I didn't feel miserable <laughs> as proof that I'm not trans. Right. Yeah. Right, right. So. Yeah. So the, the adolescence phase and you were talking about in your story about like you're an adult, but then you're having to kind of relearn who you are. In a yeah. Way. Yeah. And, and there's a lot that, you know, as people we get to explore in our teen years that as a trans person, you don't get to explore and you don't get to do that like oh, these are all these things that I've idolized or fantasized about in my life. So I'm going to try them on for a day or like try them on around my friends and see if it fits. And like, that's what we all do as young people. And so like as trans people, like there's a lot of times where if you come out later in life as an adult, people are kind of jarred by it because they're like, oh, well, suddenly they became this very cartoonish version of themselves. Um, But it's this discovery phase. Yeah. And that's really what adolescence is about is that discovery phase and like kind of showing that like you need that. Like you need to throw on your loudest thing and put on that tool petticoat and wear the sparkles and like see if it fits and and then go, "Oh, that's out of my system." <laughs> and yeah, and yeah, and like yeah. kind of like like that self-portrait series in general is kind of showing almost a pendulum swing of like, you know, you swing this way and you try this out and then you swing that way and you try that out and you keep slowly swinging a little less intensely and, and settling towards the middle, like entropy and finding who you are. And it's trial and error because there's no handbook. Yeah. 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 Maybe describe that painting and maybe talk about any kind of technical aspects of creating it that might be interesting to other artists. So um, in order to convey some of that, like the painting is of me, I'm in a very bright pink dress and there's like a, there is actually a tool petticoat. I was obsessed with petticoats and stockings for a while and heels and like all of that stuff. Um, And and yeah, I'm wearing very shiny pink heels and it's very, um, a lot of times there's a word, like a slang word for this phase for trans women, which is, uh, the princess phase. And so, you know, I'm wearing this very loud, very stereotypically femme outfit, and I'm sitting on a couch kind of confidently, but also kind of awkwardly. It's like in this middle space where my body is wide and it's sitting a little unusually, but there's like a bit of a projected confidence. And that's supposed to kind of convey this feeling of, I'm finally deciding that I'm going to do this and show this. So I'm going to try and be brave about it. But at the same time, I don't really know how to hold myself. I don't really know how to be comfortable in this yet. And on the couch and on the floor and all around me in the painting are clothes, just loud, bright clothes that have been kind of strewn about and, and that's to convey this trying things on and, mm-hmm. and tossing things aside and that this is all still in chaos, in creation. This is not finished and it's a messy process. Yeah. As far as painting it, I have a tendency to decide to do something and then later while I'm painting it being like, why was I thinking? Because there were so many textures and there's so many patterns and like there's dresses with polka dots right next to dresses with stripes and see-through things and shiny things. And so that was a wild experience painting that. And even the couch has this it's not actually woven, but that that type of texture where the rectangles are going in perpendicular yeah, of each yeah. other to kind of imply a weave, even though it's not a weave. And so I had a lot of time just spent painting textures and fabrics and and um, colors. But uh, the other thing that I do in, in each of my paintings that I think is a little bit more subtle is I start by painting um, a wash of a color and I kind of decide each painting I, f- I feel with it. Like, what does this painting's, what is this painting's color? And like that one, yeah, something. exactly. And that one was bright pink. 
Mm-hmm. And so I paint the entire canvas bright pink mm. uh, on top of the underdrawing. So I, I draw out everything that I want on the canvas and then I paint it bright pink. And then I go on top of that and paint. So the pink kind of shows through anytime that there's like a gap in the paint, the pink shows through or anytime something dries a little translucently. So the wall in the piece, it's actually kind of like a whitish bluish, but there's all this pink seeping through. And Mm -hmm. so it becomes very colorful and very vibrant. And it has this atmosphere that connects all the way through it. So each of my pieces have a color that I chose that like there's little specks of red or yellow or Mm -hmm. green showing through. Um, And and I like, at some point I latched onto that. I, I just like the energy that it gives. And I think it also, as an artist, it keeps me energized and keeps me consistent because instead of looking at a white canvas that mm-hmm. just feels like a void, I'm seeing this this energy, this color, and it, and it kind mm. of, I think, influences subconsciously some of my decisions because, you know, when you're looking at that color, it, you have an energy about you as you're painting and, like, it influences your decisions subconsciously. So, I like yeah. it. Kind of make, I don't know if it's related or not, but it makes me think of an artist that used to be here at Canopy, Graham Friend shows, and he would always stain his paper with coffee before he did anything oh, on like there, that. and he could not draw or paint on a blank piece of paper. It had to be stained with coffee first. I like it, yeah. And well, and, and also, I think, actually, technically, the, the whole reason I came up with that idea was it was one of the techniques that I'd been taught in school was doing, because uh, the coffee makes me think of this, is having a mid-tone that you start with so that when you're painting, you're painting lighter and you're painting darker mm. and you can actually leave that mid-tone. It, it happens a lot when you're drawing with like Conte crayons on like a, a brown piece of paper and you're doing a portrait. You can do the highlights and you can do the shadows and you can actually leave the mid-tone as the skin tone, uh, depending on the skin tone of the person. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of like that idea of just like like having something you start with that you can leave in certain places. And uh, there's actually a piece, uh, Cavan, uh, that I have that's um, a trans man who I w- uh, it's actually right after he had top surgery. So he had surgery to uh, remove his breast tissue and have like a masculinization of his chest. And he invited me up to Dallas where he had the surgery and I got to be in the doctor's office when they were removing the bandages mm. to see how the progress went. And I, I paint from photography as my uh, reference. Um, so I brought a camera with me and I took a bunch of photos in the room to take home and, and paint from later. And I painted that one red because it is very graphic. It is very... Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. You see it and you feel so much empathy pain for yeah, this person. Yeah. And and that helps, A, not glamorize the process because I think that there is this concept of like surgery that's like neat and clinical and futuristic and especially with something affirming, you know, it's this... like it kind of glosses over that you're actually doing something very serious to your body. Um, And it also conveys like the driving force behind this, that like we are willing to do this to our body. Yeah. This is not a, yeah. Something that you just toss aside later. Yeah. This is a very heavy decision. And, and there's another painting Leo that I have that you actually see him laying in the grass uh, shirtless and sunbathing you know, he's gone through the same procedure and you actually get to see him benefiting from it and and having happiness and joy from it. So you do have that contrast of what that reward looks like, but it's not a simple, uh, you know, like price that you pay to get to that reward. And so that's some of the energy I wanted to convey. I wanted this to be very intense. And so I painted the whole canvas red. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the background of the piece is actually blue, but I just went over it with a palette knife um, very loosely so that big holes were still left and you have this like almost cracked red coming through it. It it feels like hot, like almost like lava. Mm. Uh, And that is all behind him. And so it's a very abstract background. And I feel like it really adds to that energy of like pow, like ouch. Yeah. 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 Do you have any other practices around painting that might be interesting for other painters to hear about or just kind of thoughts or? Yeah. Um, I think that some of it is do what works for you. <laughs> I have had so many times where, I mean, like, again, to what we were talking about earlier in, in this, is that giving yourself permission. Like, I had so many people tell me what real art was or, like, mm. what's right or wrong in art. And there'd be times when I would do something that would work for me. And I'd be like, well, but I can't do that. That's not correct. And, and actually, like, being like, well, actually, it works for me. You know, let yourself use processes that help. And um, I love acrylic. 
Uh, that's uh, something that isn't overly common in realistic portraiture. Mm. Uh, it's often oils, and I love it. I love acrylic. And if somebody is trying out acrylics for the first time, I highly recommend learning about wet palettes. Um, and you don't have to go and spend a bunch of money to buy a wet palette. You can make your own. Uh, the main trick is that there's a paper that's a silicon paper, which is parchment paper. So if you go buy parchment paper, that's what your paint goes on top. And you need a tray or a container to hold it because underneath you're going to have a paper towel or a sponge that you're going to wet. And that water source underneath the silicon paper will help keep your paints from drying out mm. without making them overly runny. So you can mix colors and work with it longer, but you end up doing your mixing on your palette, not on the canvas, like when you would like like you would with oils. Okay, I recommend that. I think that's something that, that gets a lot of people stuck with acrylics. I, I see people sometimes at my shows will find out that I work in acrylics and I'm like, God, I should learn how to do acrylic. Uh, I, I always work in oil. And I'm like, well, no, no, no. The secret to me painting isn't uh, that I use <laughs> acrylics. Yeah. It's that I use what's comfortable to me. And if you work in oils and it works for you, do it. You know, there's. I think that we try to emulate others because we think that they have a secret. And, and there are techniques out there that help, but a lot of it's practice. That's the big secret. I mean, just doing it all the time. Yeah, how often do you paint? These days, less because I run a nonprofit that's combined with the art. Um, I I started uh, doing advocacy work through my art, and so I spend like 90% of my time on that, and I only paint about a painting or two a a year now, as opposed to I was doing like 12 or 13 paintings, you know, so basically like about once a month. Um, and, And they were pieces that I was spending weeks on, so I was painting almost every day. Um, about like every other day, probably. But when I was working uh, commercially, it was every day. Uh, when I was in school, it was every day. And so that's nine years of 40 hours a week of art. And that adds up. And I still benefit from that. And and even, even when I'm not painting, I'm still sketching. I'm still drawing. So I, I recommend you know, don't, don't shame yourself. It never helps. <laughs> but like, if you're wanting to do more art, just start doing it here and there when you can find time, you know, just pick it up. Even if you're doing it like a little bit more frequently, it will help you. Yeah. So even though you're painting less, you still feel fulfilled and where you're at right now. Yeah. And I mean, there's always a part of me that wants to paint more and I'm actually working towards that. Um, you know, I'm, we're working on getting more funding for the nonprofit so that we can be hiring more people so that I'm not the only full-time person and that way I can paint more. And I, I've actually just been communicating with a few new subjects. I'm going to take some time this spring to paint more. Yeah, so my self-care is painting, and I've kind of had to acknowledge that and and find space to return it. And it's hard. It's hard to do those balances because I had other things that I also had self-care for in the last few years. I have been in an amazing relationship, and I have been, you know, building a new home with that person. And I've been building up a nonprofit that makes me very happy and fulfilled. And so... You know, you kind of do that balance of like, then you re look at everything and go, okay, so now what am I neglecting? And I hope I always do that. I always, I hope I always reassess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to learn more about the nonprofit, but I thought maybe we could uh, jump back into your exploration portrait and maybe we could dig into that a little bit. Um, So, exploration is a piece about, um, it's the second piece in the self-portrait series that we were talking about. The first is the adolescence painting uh, yeah. with the pink dress. Uh, and exploration is a piece that's talking about going out into the world and exploring my identity as a woman socially and externally, like in the context of the world and, and others, uh, as opposed to adolescence, which is very closeted and internal and, 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 in, and in this home on this couch. Mm-hmm. So the pieces of me, uh, sitting on a stool, I'm in a red dress. Um, it's very, I don't know, fashionable yeah. at the time. My favorite wig was this little black Bob wig. Cause I hadn't grown out my hair at that time, um, of the, the time of the story. Uh, cause each of these pieces are kind of telling some of my past and you mentioned that there will be a fourth and the fourth one will actually be more of my present. That'll be the first one that yeah. I'm doing that is of me now. Uh, and that I, I am expecting to paint in 2019. Mm. And so in exploration, I'm sitting there on this stool and I've got all this makeup and this short red dress and this like wig and looking very glamorous and very um, 
lit in this column of light where it's very bright and romantic. Um, and then the backdrop is this dark bar and there are people sitting all around me, but they're not quite lit the same. They're not in the same atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not really connecting with any of them or looking at them and they're not really looking at me. And the, the backdrop is actually the swan dive in Austin because during this time in my story, that's where I was. There were all these costume parties and I would go there a few times a month uh, in like different costumes and trying to figure out who I was. Yeah. And, and, and be out in the world. Be out in the world, yeah. S- somewhat was, safe. I mean, safer. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually the whole reason I went there is at the time there was uh, one of the two trans people I had met during that time was a woman who worked the door and would take tickets for um, these events. And so knowing that she was the person that took the door, I was like, this is a safe space. I can be here. Um, And I was making friends for the first time that only knew me as, you know, a woman and only knew me as who I wanted to be known. And uh, that was a very powerful thing. And so that time in my life was at this bar, Swan Dive, and which is a beautiful bar. It's like very 20s and 30s themed. And there's these windows behind the bar and beautiful bottles. And so... It was a lot of fun to paint. But again, I had that moment where I was like, oh, I have to paint hundreds of bottles. (laughs) And there's this like beautiful tile work on the bar. It's like these little circle tiles and it's, (laughs) and there's these furnaces under the bar. All of it's gorgeous. But as like to paint like all these lines and patterns, I, I don't know what I was thinking, (laughs) but the the result, the result is beautiful. Yeah. And, um, and people comment on on that nature of it. But yeah, during the process, there's a lot of like, you know, art is exhausting sometimes, but that's also part of the fun of it. Cause then I'm a big fan of struggle. I, I, mm. I don't, I don't tend to, you know, like everyone, I don't invite struggle and I don't want to, like, I don't tend to want my life. I, I want my life to be easy. Um, and I tend to even try to do that with my art sometimes is I'll pick something that seems a little bit easier to paint. But one of the nice things about struggle, I'm always grateful for it afterwards. Like after it's done, I feel more proud of what I did. I feel more like growth. Ap- yeah. I, yeah. I feel like Personal I grow. Growth, I have yeah. appreciation for it. I uh, have pride and I tend to try to remind myself that like that sometimes I don't need to pick the path of least resistance. Mm. Um, because in the end, the things I'm always the happiest with are things where I struggled. Um, and I'm not happy with the, f- the feelings that I had when I struggled, but I'm happy with the results of who I became or what I did. And so I think that's also true with my work. The hardest pieces that I painted tend to be my favorite pieces and are the pieces that I'm the most proud of. And so that piece is definitely one of them. It's one of the ones where I look at and I go, that was hard and I'm proud of it because it was hard. And anyone who looks at it can tell that it was hard. Not that art always has to be hard to be good, but as a, as an artist, I'm proud of the pieces that I did that I struggled mm-hmm. for. Yeah. I really like something you said in that story. Um, you were talking about how like our personality is formed mm. by interacting with others. Like, oh, yeah. In reaction. Yeah. Um, in that piece, I, uh, and because this, each of these pieces has a story that goes along with it. And in that story, I talk about why why that social exploration is so important is you can't really grow in isolation. I do believe that. I think that it's hard, especially if you're in a marginalized identity where you haven't seen yourself represented, it's hard to figure out who you are without context. And when you do see yourself represented, that representation tends to be the context. You see it and you go, that's how I feel. That that resembles me. That reflects on me. Because we are very social creatures. And so when you don't have the ability to go, I look like that, you almost have to like try things out and see people's reactions and be like, how did that feel? Mm. Like I remember there were times where I would go out and try to be very like hyper femme. And sometimes that was rewarded. And then the reward would actually feel negative. Cause I'd be like, Oh, I don't like this. This isn't actually who I am. And I thought I would like this, but now that I'm doing it, I don't. And then I would go out and be kind of 
a little bit closer to myself, but maybe I'd go too far. Maybe I'd go out and be like, I am like the world's biggest badass. I'm going to wear this leather jacket with all these spikes and I'm going to yeah. like, do this thing. <laughs> and I'm like one of those women that just like flicks everyone off and like does this thing. <laughs> and then I go and I'm like, oh no, this is not me. This is terrible. I'm somewhere yeah. in the middle of those things. And you kind of get it right over time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, but yeah. you also said that it's it was emotionally exhausting and hard too, right? I mean, kind yeah. of like I trying mean, to figure all this out. Yeah, it's it's very defeating. Each of those times that you go and you're like, that doesn't fit, you you question yourself. You know, there's so many times where I was like, was I right about my gender? Because I am having a hard time feeling authentic. And then the funniest part is to go back to that phrase earlier is it almost always the answer was letting go and actually doing who I am. And a lot of times I thought I had to change myself to be in this gender. Like, I can't do that because I had always been seen as a boy and rewarded for that as a boy. So if I do that, that makes me masculine. Um, if I decide to stand up and raise my voice and my and use a lower voice to command authority, that makes me masculine. If I decide to, you know, wear a button-up shirt and pants, that makes me masculine. And and so it was trying to run away from these things and be like, well, what feminine things feel good? And the the funny thing is, my style is actually fairly similar to my style was before I came out. I wear a lot of like jeans and like. <laughs> shirts like it's just you know it's like I it's a very similar style I still like I loved H&M before and I love H&M now like I you know there's I have a a style and I thought I had to change that style in order to be seen in my gender and and some of that is physical I think that something that is tough with trans people is people that you're interacting with have their preconceived notions of what they can see and they decide what their rubric for gender is. And so I was performing certain things to help people not say sir. Mm. Um, I was doing certain things because I wanted them to treat me as a woman. And I was sometimes doing things that actually weren't fitting for who I was because if I did what I wanted and people couldn't tell that I was a woman, that would feel worse. And so I was allowing myself to be inauthentic because there was a different reward I was seeking, which was people gendering me correctly. Um, when I started taking hormones, your body changes. And so, you know, I started becoming curvier. I, I started developing breasts. My face changed a little bit, like fat, you know, redistributes in the body, muscles change. And suddenly I could go out of the house without makeup in jeans and a t-shirt. And suddenly someone would say, ma'am, and I didn't have to perform with all this makeup in this dress in order to get the ma'am. And so I was actually allowed to be myself more, mm. which stinks. Like if I'm just brutally honest, that's that's terrible because we're forcing people to perform to be gendered correctly and we're forcing people to be inauthentic to be gendered correctly and we're putting an emphasis on body first and what we can see first. And a lot of times the trans people who say, no, I'm not playing that game. I'm just going to be me and I'm not going to perform in all of these gender norms in order to be seen correctly they're the ones that experience the most violence. They're the ones that face the most pushback. When, you know, I still grew facial hair pretty regularly and had a five o'clock shadow and could be seen wearing lipstick and pants and a five o'clock shadow, the reactions to me were incredibly negative. People mm. would just shout things at me. Now I go through life and most people don't know that I'm transgender unless I tell them. And my life is entirely differently. And so that's a hard thing that we punish and reward people for is our concepts of what gender looks like. And especially for people who are non-binary or people who don't identify with gender, it's tough because if they have a thing about themselves that they like that's considered gendered, people always use it as evidence that they're not who they say they are. They're like, how can you be non-binary or how can you be a gender if you wear a lipstick? How can you be non-binary if you wear a baseball cap, like, because I've assigned that this gender. And so you're performing in that. So you obviously can't be genderless or non-binary. You have to be that gender of the baseball cap. Mm -hmm. That could take us into the third portrait, Prudence. I think we kind of covered a lot of that already. But there was something that you talked about in that story that really... I'm really curious about, and I think is unique, is you being able to experience this male privilege mm, kind of on both mm-hmm. sides of it and kind of kind of seeing it from different perspectives. Like, yeah. what is it 
like for you to kind of, I mean, what are your perspectives about male privilege and what do you think, huh. what do you think I should <laughs> <Yeah>. know <laughs> about yeah. male privilege? Um, oh, that, that, we would need a whole uh, okay. other like yeah. three episodes, but, um, <laughs> I, I mean, it's real. <laughs> That's the big one. Um, I think that I had actually, um, always considered myself a feminist and then coming out as trans and being read as a woman by the public, I realized how much I didn't understand about oppression, uh, about about sexism. I didn't realize how constant microaggressions are. Um, there was a lot of things that was like, yeah, that doesn't sound great, but how often does that really happen? And the answer is a lot, like all the time. Mm. And a lot of times things are done in these middle of the road ways that it's hard to point to and argue because someone else will go, well, maybe they meant this or maybe they meant that. And it just happens over and over and over. And as a trans person, there's no question in my mind of like, am I being too sensitive? Because there are things that didn't happen before people knew that like I identify as a woman and things that happened afterwards and like the stark difference of how I could navigate the world, how safe I felt. Mm. Um, I used to jog by myself at night I would never do that ever now. Um, yeah, you talked about that story about you went out maybe to take some pictures at a bar one night and you had parked really far away and mm-hmm. then, and you were like, wow, that was really stupid. <laughs> like yeah. I've really put myself in this compromising yeah. position. I don't know anybody here. And it was actually so to add layers to that, it was even in the in the in the gay district. I was at a gay bar. It was a place that I felt safe in. I had gone there so many times to take photos or to hang out before. And it was the first time I had ever gone presenting femininely by myself when I had gone by myself presenting masculinely plenty of times and felt completely safe. And all of a sudden there were people who were grabbing me inappropriately, hitting on me, not taking no for an answer. I left because I didn't feel safe. And after I left, someone else grabbed my hand to turn me around like physically and then compliment my body and like looked at me up and down while they were doing it and still holding my wrist. And I had this deep terror and I pulled away and like was basically speed walking back to my car, which was just really far away in this dark place. And I had just never, ever considered where Mm. I parked before. I never thought about it. And I always parked because of convenience as mostly because for paid convenience, it was in an area that was still free. Uh, there used to be free places to park downtown. (laughs) Um, and that was the only reason I parked there. And I was, by the time I got back to my car, I was actually crying and just mad at myself for all the things that I didn't consider as far as my safety, mad that I had to consider them mad that I would have to consider them for the rest of my life. I remember thinking like, am I never allowed to go by myself anymore? Like, am I never allowed to do this anymore? And just going through all the things that I had already experienced where my life was changing and like loss of safety and rights and just having this anger. And then also having this anger that I didn't see it before. And that I didn't know Mm. that I was benefiting from all of this. You know, that, that was hard. Uh, it's still hard. It's, it's infuriating because it shouldn't be true, but it is true. And I feel like it's easy for someone. I think about myself, like I'm not the type of person that would grab someone or Mm -hmm. do something like that. Mm -hmm. So then I don't think about that happening to women all the time. Yeah. And, and then there's also this component of once it happens to you once, a million other things that aren't that extreme become that because you don't know in the moment how far it'll go. Like you end up with these things where someone will say something that makes you a little unsure of their intentions. Mm. And then you're thinking, Oh no, where's my escape route? How safe am I? Like you start going through the scenario of if this escalates because it has in the past. And because I, you also know people like the moment I started sharing my stories of harassment, I started finding out that every single one of my female friends had similar stories of harassment. And you're like, you become aware of how pervasive it is and that it only takes one time for something to go very, very badly. And so all these other smaller moments become big because you still experience the fear, however they end up. Um, and, and it's like little moments where people just show that they don't care quite as much about your agency or that they don't care quite as much about how you feel. And so, so yeah, like the whole world changes, even, even when you're not going through that extreme of a moment. Hmm. 
Yeah. And this really makes me, th- I mean, as you're talking, I keep thinking of this Prudence portrait. Mm-hmm. Like, isn't that, some yeah. of this is wrapped up in that. Maybe you can yes. describe that one. Yeah. So that portrait is of, it's kind of this concept of what does life look like when you're living day to day? It's no longer social. This is my womanhood as my life. And how has that changed both me and my concept of womanhood and my concept of my life and how has that changed everything. And so the heels that I'm wearing in the exploration portrait, I am actually now holding in my hand and walking barefoot because, and there's like um, holes in the stockings because they were hurting my feet and they're no longer practical. And I am dressed much more modestly. I am dressed in like a suit, um, like a, like a thin kind of office type, suit and my hair is pulled back but it's also frayed and I have a look of exhaustion with like a touch of worry to it and I'm walking down this long street there's a lot of I really wanted something that felt repetitive there's little parking meters and signs and cars and doors that kind of disappear over a hill and you can tell that the train is not flat that this is probably an exhausting walk Mm. and it's this idea of like how far have I come and how far do I still have to go I'm carrying a bag of what I consider groceries, but it could be anything. I'm having, I'm holding a bag in the other hand and my body's kind of leaning that direction. Like it's heavy. And so there's this, this feeling of a, there's not a lot of performance happening. Uh, it's, it's a much more authentic portrait. Like I'm actually letting my feelings show. I'm no longer projecting something or looking out into like a space, hoping that someone connects with me or, you know, like trying on all these things. I'm like, these are my tools for survival. And I have become more modest. I have become more, although there is still the fact that I obviously hadn't learned enough to wear different shoes, but, (laughs) you know, I've taken them off in the painting, you know, and, and so um, that painting also doesn't really fit how I see myself now. Like I don't really Mm. wear office suits all the time or even like stockings that are torn I wouldn't really actually I hate wearing heels and only wear them if I feel like I need to because they hurt my feet so I wouldn't be carrying them because I wouldn't be wearing them you know and so like that's like another pendulum sling of like going to this extreme and then because like some of the measures I took for my safety also didn't feel good and as humans we always end up deciding what risks are worth it I personally can't just disappear. I can't like try to blend in so much that I'm not seen. I like expressing myself. And so um, there are times where I wear something being like, ah, this may draw me unwanted attention, but that's what I'm going to do. Um, and, and oftentimes that actually doesn't look like a short dress like it did in exploration. It tends to look a little bit more uh, queer. <laughs> it tends to look like boots and a plaid shirt and some like, you know, uh, just like an undercut and, you know, like some things that don't always help in more conservative areas. Um, it looks like holding my fiance's hand and knowing that her and I get stares. We went to Fredericksburg and we had someone who almost practically refused to serve us, you know, and, and just deciding like, I'm more happy that I held her hand walking into that restaurant than I would have been if I had gotten service. Like, you know, making those decisions, because I think that, like, it's not all portrayed in the piece, but when I think about what I'm telling with the story of the Prudence portrait, there are a lot of things that I did to protect myself that went right back to that. I wasn't allowing myself to be me, and I wasn't forgiving myself for things that may end up bringing me discomfort, and then balancing it, because I also still want to be safe. And that's a hard thing to do. I struggle with that every day. It's like, Mm. where does my personal expression and my personal self mix with my safety and finding happiness with both? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I'm lucky because at this point in my transition, I pass. And so that makes it easier. Um, It was a much harder thing to figure out when if I didn't wear makeup, I was less safe. When if I didn't wear certain clothes that let me be read easier, like if like basically I would be performing gendered performances to pass so that I felt safer. Whereas now I can mostly wear anything and people don't always know that I'm trans by looking at me. So I feel safer. Um, I still get read as a woman. So there's a loss of safety there, but the added transness doesn't hurt me as much. Yeah. Yeah. I guess lastly, is there any, I just had this idea that I, this is from another podcast I listened to, but is there any ask that you have of anyone that might be listening hmm. about just 
how they could act differently, think differently, or be differently, and kind of be more inclusive of <laughs> of people. Yeah, um, <laughs> I do. I've, I basically make those asks for a living, so I have so many going in my head. Um, I think that the biggest thing, you know, what I'm going to say, what helped me as an ally, because you know, I while I am a trans woman, I am a white trans woman. I am an able-bodied trans woman. I, you know, I have a lot of privilege still in my life. And, um, one of the things that helped me be better allies to other communities is to believe people. Generally, you don't need evidence to trust if a whole community is saying something, if a whole community is saying we experience this and, or if a whole community is saying this hurts us, trust that they know um, and trust that their experience is authentic. Generally, a whole community is not going to lie to you. Um, and sometimes discrimination is hard to prove, like with physical evidence. Uh, actually, most of the time that's true. And um, also to decide to help people out of love rather than to be a hero. Because when you help out of love and someone tells you that something's hurting them, your first reaction is, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. How can I do better? And when you help people to be a hero and someone says, actually, that doesn't help me, that hurts me. You, your first reaction is, excuse me, I'm trying to help you here. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's that defensiveness because we want to feel like we're good people and we decided to do it because we want to see ourselves as good people. Mm. And I think that instead we should want to do things because we love other humans and we want them to be happier and feel safer and feel more uplifted and we want their lives to be better. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good, I mean, I'm, I'm feeling into that and it's like, I could use that in my everyday life and every interaction that I have. It's hard. It's, I mean, I have to constantly remind myself of it and constantly check my motivations because I, that little hero, that little hero self creeps in the ego every day. Yeah. Like, and and, and like, I'll do something good and someone be like, thank you. That was actually a really good way. And I'm like, Oh, look at me. And I'll just (laughs) stop it. (laughs) It's not, you know, it's not why you did it. Um, not that you can't feel happy and proud of yourself for being a good person, but it's very easy for that to overtake your motivations. Love is the answer. Love is the answer. Yeah. Loving is a good thing because even when it's not returned, well, not always when it's not returned, but (laughs) generally I think that love is positive, you know, especially if it's not expected, like just like unconditional love. Yeah. Because that's when that return hurts is when you loved because you wanted to be loved. Like it's not transactional. You decide to love someone because you do yeah yeah nice maybe to finish up you could share a little bit more about your nonprofit. share about the winter art market talk about you know how people can support gender portraits yeah yeah i would love to um so the series that that we've been talking about um i ended up kind of turning it into a project that is now a sponsored project of the austin creative alliance and so we not only do shows that help start these conversations around gender using art, um, and a lot of times I'm speaking on art, but we also host affirming events that showcase a number of artists from the trans and intersex community. So we have an annual festival called the Gender Unbound Art Fest that's in September. And uh, this last year we showcased about 50, a little bit over 50 artists um, that are musicians and filmmakers and sculptors and painters, like the whole gamut, and just really showcasing the talents of the community and really giving people a very positive way to interact with the community rather than usually people only hear about trans issues through controversy, through trauma, hearing about violence against trans people or laws against trans people. Yeah. And, and so it's hard to um, see us as multifaceted, valuable people when that's all you hear. Uh, So this is a way to kind of see us through celebration and see what we can create and see what our voices sound like. And a lot of the art has nothing to do with gender. It's just what people create. And so, you know, you can just go and listen to music and, and, and buy comics and, and drawings and paintings and watch movies. So that's the Gender Unbound Art Fest. That's one of the main activities we do. And this year we are doing, for the first time ever, a winter art market, which will actually be on December 15th. It's a Saturday here in Austin from 1 to 6 at the Austin Creative Alliance. Uh, mm. So that's, I think, 81 San Marcos Street, but you can just Google 
uh, either Austin Create Alliance or Google the win- the Gender Unbound Winter Art Market, mm-hmm. uh, or go to genderunbound.org. Yeah, uh, we're still getting a few submissions that are last minute. So between ten to twelve different uh, artists, we've got. Some, I know we have some zines and comics. We have some painters. We have someone who does stickers, and we have some apparel. Uh, so there'll be like a wide variety of things. You can shop either holiday gifts for someone if you celebrate a holiday during the winter, or you can just support trans and intersex artists. Um, and it's a free event, and there will be complimentary drinks. So yeah, nice. why, yeah why not? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And as far as your nonprofit and mm-hmm. helping out with that and... Yeah, uh, we have... Uh, is that uh, the, literally general portraits is the nonprofit? Yeah, we're actually about to change that. Uh, right now, it's still gender portraits, but we're in the process of changing it to gender unbound um, okay. so that it's not... Because it started with me doing the series, but it's become a lot more than that. And I really want to take the series out of the focus of it. Okay. Um, I think that what we're doing with these events is um, what I want to showcase because... In each of these events, we don't charge any of our artists to participate. Um, We actually pay them uh, whenever we can. Uh, uh, So for people who are just vending with a table, they get to do it for free and we take no commission. For people who are in our galleries or performing on our stage, we pay them a small stipend and we help people get to the festival. So by attending our events, you are actually helping trans and intersex artists make money. And also have a platform and a voice and be encouraged to create, uh, which I think is incredibly valuable. Um, another way to support us is to volunteer or um, to uh, donate. We, we, do, we have a Patreon and we also do uh, an Indiegogo campaign each year to help fund the festival. So if you follow us on social media at Gender Unbound or go to genderunbound.org, you can find out information for all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Aside from the things that you just mentioned, is there anywhere else you'd like people to find you or follow you online on social um, media? Yeah. So uh, if someone wants to be connected to the events that we do, that's through Gender Unbound. If people want to follow my art, uh, see any of the paintings that we've been talking about, read the stories of all the subjects, because it's all online, um, go to genderportraits.com or follow Gender Portraits on social media. That is, I tried to just keep it as accessible as possible so that people can read it. And But also, if you want to gift it to someone, we have prints and we have books uh, on our website. Uh, so there's a lot of ways to share that advocacy and help uh, tell all the people's stories that I paint. Yeah, yeah. And share the art if you love the art. Um, I sometimes get so wrapped up in the advocacy work that I, for- <laughs> that I forget that also people just love the painting sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're an artist too, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thanks. Yeah, Does that this, feel this complete? Is, yeah, this okay. is wonderful. Yeah, right. yeah, I really appreciate being here and, okay. and having this conversation. I like conversations, if you can't tell. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. me too. Okay. okay, well, thank you. Thanks for listening. One more thing before you go. If this episode or any other I've produced have helped you or added value to your life, please support the podcast so it can continue and grow. Just go to austinarttalk.com forward slash support. There you can find a link to my Patreon page and there is also a PayPal option and an Amazon affiliate link. I couldn't keep doing this without your help. All the best to you and take care.